welcome, and thank you for joining us for this episode of AAF Dallas Talks, a podcast dedicated to shedding light on public service issues that impact communities in Dallas, Texas. I am your host, James Marine. Today's topic is food deserts. We are joined by Danae Gutierrez, who is the founder of Harvest Project Food Rescue. Danae, welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Danae Gutierrez, um, and I am the founder and executive director of the Harvest Project Food Rescue. Are you native to Dallas? Um, I've been here for 30 years, uh, but I was born in Mexico City. So I consider myself a native. <laughs> native at this point. Yeah. Same here. Uh, and which organizations do you either represent or work for? Um, well, I represent the Harvest Project Food Rescue, but I also work with the Food Justice Coalition, which is a uh, collective of um, nonprofits that work in some form of way within the um, food chain. Whether it be you grow it as a farmer, you have gardens, you distribute food, or you work in a food desert. And your primary your primary duties are you a founder, are you CEO, are you manager, supervisor? <laughs> I'm everything. Um, I am. Uh, I am the executive director, so I run the Harvest Project. Uh, but we're 100 percent volunteers, so I'm also one of the volunteers. Um, and I do everything from picking up the food to doing some composting to recycling. We're zero waste. So anything that needs to be done, I, I do too. Fantastic. Uh, you said it's 100% voluntary? Yes. Uh, roughly how many volunteers do you have working with you? Um, so any given week, we have probably between 30 volunteers to maybe 100 volunteers, depending on where we are giving away food. Uh, and depending on the work we need to be doing that week. It sounds like this project's been organizing for a while. Roughly how many years has it been operating here in Dallas? Um, we've been around for seven years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we've been here for a while. And do you, are by chance, are there any uh, areas outside of the Dallas uh, city limits or the Dallas, the greater Dallas DFW area that you impact as well? Um, no, we... Just start a partnership with Fort Worth. We've been in Arlington and Garland for for a while, uh, but uh, now we are working with a, a group nonprofit in Fort Worth called the Atatiana Project, which is a family of Atatiana Jefferson, and uh, they wanted to honor her legacy by doing something for her community, and so they partner up with the Harvest Project and. Uh, we're doing roughly about 150 to 200 families uh, that we're feeding there once a month, uh, the third Saturday of the month out there. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Wasn't aware of that many. Yes. <laughs> uh, and per year, since so for seven years you've been operating, in that time, roughly how many families have you been able to help? Oh, man, that's a good story, and I should probably get the numbers. So um, it's interesting. This year is unlike any other, and I think for everyone, right? Um, But uh, where before we were doing about 10,000 people a month uh, with the pandemic, uh, from March until the end of August, we fed over 1 million people 
which means we redirected over 10 million pounds of food that were destined to the landfill to people's homes that were that were in need. Is it normal for that much food to need redirecting before it hits the landfill? Or is that only a pandemic-related increase? No, actually, it's uh, very interesting. So it, we're not even touching like 5% of the food that's going to the landfill. Um, there are so many food distributors in the city of Dallas, and we are only working with three. Uh, and there's dozens and dozens. Um, and so the food came from these three distributors. To shift gears a little bit towards the topic of food deserts, is this something that you have worked with in all of these years? So when we started the Harvest Project, one of the things that we thought or the only place we thought we were going to be going to was going to be food deserts, right? Um, and what is a food desert? A food desert is a geographical region um, that lacks a place where people can get food, whether it be a grocery store or maybe a farmer's market or something where the people can get food within, I believe it's like a, a one mile radius, right? Um, but what we realized was that it's not in just those areas that are people suffering from food insecurity. So really what end up happening is we went from just wanting to reach the people in food deserts, but also going to communities where food insecurity was really high. How approximately in, in your experience or your data that you've come across, how many people in the Dallas area specifically are impacted by food deserts? Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but I mean, if we just focus on uh, the numbers for the uh, Dallas Independent School District, right? Okay. And they pretty much say that I think it's like almost 90, if not more, percent of their kiddos are, you know, below the poverty line. They're getting free and reduced lunches. That was nine zero. Yes, 90. Uh, and I, it could be a little bit more, maybe. Uh, so imagine if those kids are within the poverty line that they need to be getting free and reduced lunch, then how does that translate to how many people in the city of Dallas? You know, it's a, it's a big number, you know? And so it's out there. We just don't talk about it. You know, your neighbor could potentially be food insecure. And it's just one of those things that being poor and being hungry is a thing that we have made it to where it's uh, people should be ashamed of it. You know, you don't know how many calls I've gotten about people saying, I'm sorry I'm bothering you, but I need to get food. I'm so sorry I'm asking for help. And I'm like, no, why are you sorry? I'm glad that we can help, you mm. know? I'm glad you're asking for help. Like, that's the only reason we're here. But people have that shame of asking for help, of not being able to meet that need that they have. And that's not okay. And that's the type of, you know, city we are in. And we need to change that. We need to make it to where our neighbors know that it's okay to ask for help because we can get it to them. Um, and I think that's why we don't know how many people are going hungry, how many people do need that help, because a lot of them are not wanting to say, hey, um, I'm going through this difficult. Hmm. Well, uh, let's. I guess let's talk a little bit about addressing 
or the difficulties in addressing this issue. From your perspective, if I had, if, you know, we had to boil it down just to start looking at the problems and how tough they may be, and I asked you, what would you say is the hardest part of addressing this issue of food deserts? I think the hardest part to address is food deserts are food insecurity, right? For some odd reason in my journey through this is people think that within the city of Dallas, only one location uh, is a food desert. Only in one location of the city, people are going hungry, you know, which usually when you talk about food deserts, you only talk about South Dallas, you know. But we need to be talking about all parts of the city of Dallas where people are food insecure, right? Food desert doesn't mean that's all food insecurity. No, food insecurity, uh, food deserts belong into uh, food insecurity, not the other way around, right? Um, And so we need to also keep, keep that in mind. Like we work where we're starting to thankfully work in um, East Dallas, you know, in the Pleasant Grove area. That is a food desert. There is tons of food insecurity out there, but we really don't address it. We really very rarely talk about the need of East Dallas. And I think it might be just because South Dallas is doing a much, much better job are speaking up about what their needs are, right? And maybe East Dallas still doesn't have you know, as many people in the community being able to look up and say, hey, we need some help here, you know. But it goes to the point where, like, sometimes it's a norm, so you just live with it, right? Like, this is normal. Like, this is how it is. Uh, and so what am I going to do about it? I'm just going to keep on trucking, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the way my parents lived, and that's the way my neighbors lived, and my familia lived. Um, but... So food deserts are not just in one specific part of town. And then food insecurity does not just happen in food deserts. And I think that's something that we really don't pay much attention to because we're thinking, well, you know, you have the food banks. Well, you have, you know, uh, access to food stamps or WIC and stuff like that. But then you need more than that. You know, you need to be able to make it to where people are getting paid a living wage and are able to actually purchase the food, hopefully locally, right? Uh, From farmers, we have plenty of of local farms in the city of Dallas uh, that people don't even know about, you know? Uh, And we need to start talking about that too. Like, how can we help our planet? How can we make food accessible and also support the farmers that are living within our area? So it's just a lot. Food insecurity. (laughs) It's, <laughs> it covers a big cloud. Right. Well, uh, let's let's look at the converse of that. So, you know, in, in a world where I could say, you tell me the easiest thing and you will have it or you will have it done. What would you say is the easiest part that's that could be done to help tackle this issue? Oh, man, that's a good one. I guess um, <laughs> that's like asking me, you know, what are your favorite dishes? You know, like, well, well, in the winter, it's stew, right? <laughs> right. Um, well, and again, use whatever metric you feel yeah. fit. Is it if it's a cost metric, if it's a, a I, people metric, mm-hmm. if it's a time intensive metric, you know, whatever you feel 
you could say, well, this one would be the easiest. This would be the first thing that could be done. Just, you know, let's do it. Yeah, I think, um, as I think with everything, education is a key to being able to fight food insecurity. Um, It goes back to what I I mentioned a minute ago. Like, there's people that lived in certain part of town that that's, that's what they know. And on the opposite side, the people that are living in in parts of towns where they don't even have to think about this stuff. That's all they know. They don't know what their neighbors are going through, you know, within our same city. You know, so I think it has to do with education for the communities living in the um, food desert areas or in parts of towns where there's like a lack of, um, of food security, I think it's just letting them know like this is where you can get food, you know, nutritious, fresh food um, that is not as expensive, whether it's letting them know of all the food pantries that are out there um, or, you know, even how to grow their own food. You know, there's a lot of nonprofits out there now that are able to do gardens, you know, the Pan-African Connection Bookstore in South Dallas. They're going to start their own garden, you know, and the food that they're getting there is going to be for the community. So even partnering up with people that have access to land and those resources to be able to work together to grow food. Um, But I think in general, just educating the city of Dallas that this is an ongoing issue and that we need as Dallasites to work together to fight it off. You know, like it's not okay for children or anybody to go hungry because you know what? In the grocery stores that are out there, they're throwing away a lot of food that is deemed no longer pretty. So I'm not going to sell it. So now you're throwing it away, but, you know, 20 minutes from where you're located, there's people going hungry. Mm. That all they can go shopping at is a corner store that might have some really questionable bananas, <laughs> you know, or or none, nothing like that, you know. You can buy some soda and a honey bun, and then that's your meal. Like, that's, what I think, education of what really is happening, you know, not thinking that this is going to make us feel ashamed. But there's nothing shameful about um, acknowledging that we need to do better as a city. I think the shameful part is not talking about it and not wanting to do something about it because what will people think of our great city of Dallas? Uh, I guess because you had mentioned that uh, grocery stores uh, or well, we could say businesses that mm-hmm. sell food or fresh food, they have a marketing component to their decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh when we come into 2020 and we have food services now that deliver food to your door, mm-hmm. if you can pay for it, this is true, um, would you say a company like Imperfect, who is trying to recapture some of those unpretty foods mm-hmm. that are still good and offer some nutrition, in companies like that, would you say that – are would you welcome them into this – field of trying to get uh, or recapture food for the masses to actually eat? Or would you see them as a problem? Or are they a neutral party in this and they don't seem to be helping or hindering the the status quo? That's funny that you asked that question. So we actually started our 
a branch of the Harvest Project called Wholesome Wholesale, which we do the exact same thing Imperfect Produce does at a cheaper price with local businesses for our local community. So you can support the Harvest Project. And we made the math. Eight, uh, one basket of that you purchase from the Harvest Project feeds 18 families in the city of Dallas. 18 families. 18 families. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so... What kinds of what kind of items can we expect? Like in, oh. in, in, in a one basket feeding uh-huh. eighteen. So we, we decided to stick to a few things plus every week is something different, right? Depending on what we can get our hands on that is, you know, uh, where we, it's a good price because it's about a between thirty five to fifty pounds of produce that you're getting delivered to your home for thirty five dollars. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you always get pineapples and uh, pineapples and bananas, you know, tomatoes and onions, uh, limes and lemons. You will always get those. And then everything else with different. Sometimes you'll get mushrooms and uh, leafy greens or spinach, cilantro, peppers, you know, that will switch it up for you. But you'll get ginger and, and lemongrass and, you know, like potatoes so the little different things but we try to keep the staples of the lemons and the limes and the uh, apples and the pineapples going it got us started because one of our you know our our main thing with the harvest project is that we cannot expect somebody to rescue us we have to rescue ourselves the community has to do the work for itself we cannot depend on outside entities to do it for us, you know? Like I told you, we were 100% volunteer run, and every single one of our sites, it's community members from the wherever we are at coming to run the Harvest Project. So if we're at Pan-African Connection Bookstore, it is a community of Pan-African, you know, that's headed by Sister Akwete, who comes and makes the, you know, uh, goes through the food, uh, and we separated the compost from the, the part that's still edible for for our community. And they're the ones that give it out. You know, it's nobody outside of that community coming in and helping. When we're in Arlington, you know, I call them the Comadre Squad because it's like uh, a lot of uh, old ladies that have been, you know, that's their community. I love going there because they tell me to go sit down and eat while they do the work. You know, they're like, I'm like, OK, because they want to. They want to serve their community. And we've been working with Sister Equate, I think, for four years and uh, Arlington for going on five. And it's their community, it's their distribution, it's their people, uh, no outside help. 100% volunteer run. Um, they don't have to invest any money, only their time to being able to serve their neighbors. And like I said, you know, we were on a normal, typical year, 10,000 people. A month mm-hmm. by volunteers, by their neighbors. Because there's something special, like you and I, you know, if I see you, be like, hey, neighbor, you know, we're going to be doing the uh, fruits and vegetables. We want to go get a basket. Go, I'll be there. And then you see me be like, hey, Vecina. And I'm like, oh, here's your basket. There's something special about that. You know, that we are, we need to be a support system for our neighbors. We don't need to be like, I'm the leader. I need to lead. No, we need to walk hand in hand helping and supporting each other. And I think that's the magical thing about the Harvest Project and the communities we live in. Like we believe in helping each other, but we believe in walking side by side and not, you know, thinking 
you know, that there's that power struggle that I know better than you just mm. because I'm doing something you're not, you know? You made it very clear that, that there are distinctions in the types of food that you are giving out, mm-hmm. you know? Um, can you explain to me what it, why is it so important for people to know the difference between just a food that you want to donate or a food stuff that you want to donate versus the need of a family that is living in food desert or impacted or food insecure, whichever label you know fits them. It, it, can you explain a little bit about what is most important to know about the food itself, the actual foods? Yes. So I think what we need to establish is the definition of food, right? <laughs> Just because you can put it in your mouth and you know, it start the um, digestion process of it does not mean it's actual food, right? Um, I feel that if you if it has a label and you can't read half of the stuff that's on there, it's probably not food. You should probably maybe if you eat it once in a while, not all the time, you know, because who doesn't like some you know tootsie rolls and Kit Kats? I love, I love them. You know, you want to give me chocolate, I will take it from you. Um, but I think that when we talk about lack of food, we're talking about fresh food. We're talking about the type of food that's actually going to 100% be used by our bodies to continue to make properly proper and, you know, um, healthy cells, right? The food that's going to actually give us energy to be able to think clearly, to not feel fatigue to not create some form of disease in your body, right? Like processed food does. And so I feel that when we talk about food, one of the things that I always tell our families is like, listen, when we talk about food and what real food is, is something that won't give you diabetes, <laughs> right? Or make you obese. Pretty base, baseline is what yes, you're saying. Yes, you have okay. to keep it simple, right? Mm-hmm. So if you see a pumpkin, or squash and a pineapple, that probably won't give you, you know, high blood pressure. It won't make you obese. If you look at another plate and it's pasta and white breads and, you know, meat that has been dead for months at a time, Mm. that's probably not so great. Can you eat both of them? Absolutely. But what should you be eating more of, right? It's probably the one that is... Not going to last you a long time because it's fresh and it came out of the ground and, you know, all that stuff. So that's when when I talk about access to food, that's the type of food that I'm talking about, you know. Um, and But that's also the type of food that's more expensive. It's crazy how expensive fresh produce eat. You know, I tell people all the time that it is quite a privilege to be a vegetarian in nowadays. Because mm. to be able to buy all the produce... So you can make different meals every day. I'm not talking about, you know, you're going to cut a lot of lettuce and put a little vinaigrette on it every day. No, I'm talking about some making some good food, right? Um, it's expensive. It's very expensive. And we're not even talking about organic food because then, <laughs> Lord Jesus, you know, I can't afford that, right? Um, but that type of food is not accessible to just any family. You know, because people a lot oftentimes think, oh, well, buying meat is more expensive. No, it's not. If you go buy a head of cauliflowers, it's like $4. If you buy some chicken, you can buy like the family pack of drumsticks 
for $4. And that's like 20 drumsticks in one. Like, so, you know, it's not it's not cheap to buy a produce. And I think that's what we need to focus on. Like, why is it that produce are so expensive? Why is it that I cannot buy real food within a budget, but I can go to McDonald's and feed a family of four on $20? Right. That's, that's absolutely where the expense Horrible. hits the road. Absolutely. Rubber meets the road, I think. Yeah, and a family of four eating McDonald's, let's say not every day, but three or four times a week, how are the family and the children, the parents, how are they going to be able to think and work? Because we are what we eat, absolutely. You know, and now we're sending our kids to school full of all these chemicals, and they're not able to think. So now they're not doing properly in school. So now people are thinking that they are... You know, they're having some type of learning disability, but hell, you're pumping them full of sugar. Just because it doesn't taste sweet doesn't mean it doesn't have sugars. See, that's another thing. Um, so that's, I think that's when education, you know, to going back to the question you asked me, education is important. That we know what is food and what is not food. What is a snack of once in a while and what's something that we need to be eating. Because one of the things that we um, run into a lot is we bring this produce out to communities, right? But they're not used to having produce for them to make. And they're looking at us like, well, how the heck do I cook this? Mm -hmm. You know? So now they don't want to take it because they don't know how to cook with it. And it's like, oh, Lord, you know? And we hit that a few years back that we were like, oh, man, if we're going to go to certain communities, we need to be able to put in an aspect of even teaching, you know, how to be able to cook with with all of these uh, fresh produce because we get the most random things, you know, and we're not going to say no. So a lot of the times I'm also like Googling like, oh, how do you cook this, you know, <laughs> um, because then I'm going to have to tell somebody to do it. Uh, this year with the pandemic, we were um, lucky to be able to partner up with uh, a chef, local chef, from Dallas, uh, Diana Zamora. And she started uh, Project La Familia, which she wanted to cook food for the restaurant employees that were furloughed because of COVID and that were gonna need that extra help. And the destiny brought us together. And I said, hey, listen, well, I have all these produce and I have all these volunteers. How about we get to cooking? And she said, yes. Yeah. So, Imagine we partner up with another um, nonprofit called um, uh, Stanford Children, which runs the Home Visit Project in the city of Dallas. And they work with a bunch of different uh, independent school districts, but uh, specifically with the city of Dallas. They work with a lot of the schools here. And so they reached out to us saying, hey, we have some families uh, that reached out to many teachers saying that they need food. And we're like, okay. And I'm like, hey, would they be okay with us also sending a plate, you know, cooked dishes to give them an example of what they can do with what we're going to be sending them? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. So our chefs got to work. We would tell them this is what we're going to be sending the families this week. You know, uh, it's like 30, 40 pounds of produce we were sending them every, every week, along with a meal and a recipe of what they could do with what they were getting, you know? And it was really cool to see pictures of the little ones eating 
vegan dishes. And I'm not a vegan, don't get me wrong, but we also don't have a big budget. So we can buy, you know, meats and we can buy any of this stuff, right? Um, so we just have to do everything vegan. And like some of this stuff, I was like, damn, I'm gonna eat this. And I'm, I'm always like, did you put butter in it? You know, I love butter. Um, <laughs> but no, it was beautiful. And you see a bunch of uh, children, okay? Little ones that are always like, ew, broccoli, ew, carrots, eating vegan meals at home and then cooking with their families with fresh produce. It's it's beautiful. all And all of this stuff, thinking like all of this was going to end up in the landfill because somebody decided that it was no longer pretty. Right. That somebody a long time ago told a little lie that spread like wildfire, like you should not be buying this because it's not good. Mm. Are you kidding me? So now we have to fight that lie, you know, that it's good, you know? And if you can't sell it or you won't sell it because somebody that wants to, you know, purchase a banana wants it completely green, well, then don't throw it away, though. Like, there's people that need it, you know? Um, so that's where the relationship building with our um, businesses, our business partners really got to it. Kind of follow back separately. Um them being education and then um, uh, also touching back with the nutritious part of food. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the education part. Uh, how how can someone get the information that you are trying to disseminate on the education part of it? So I'm not talking about just letting people know what you do or how you do it. Um, for instance, let's say somebody does not – you know, they're interested in what you have to offer regarding the composting or how to make a nutritious meal from these newer items that they are being introduced to. Mm-hmm. Is Do they have to have a touch point with you directly as an in-person? Do they have to be at uh, where you operate your business or where you distribute food? Or is this something that you have set up for them to be able to search online if they have that access? or through some other touch point? So we have a lot of stuff on our website about where you can go for different things. I always invite people to come out, and I know with the pandemic, it's going to be a little bit more tricky right now. Um, right, and that's what I was asking, because I, yeah. I, I understand you know, uh, being able to get the information from you, but I, I think I'm just more interested in all the ways that they can. You know, does it have to be in person? It, can they? Can it be indirect? Yeah. So um, when it comes to accessing our food, uh, we are about to revamp because COVID spiked up again. Our um, La Familia side of it, which means we're going to be delivering uh, the meals to people that are unable to uh, leave their homes. Because all our distributions are drive through So you don't have to get out of your car, pop open the trunk. Thank you, do it. Is that part new or was that always? In uh, no, that started in the pandemic. We were actually the first nonprofit to run it that way. Where With we the drive-up? Drive-through, yeah. The drive-up, mm-hmm. drive-through. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then um, that's one way. So so if you can't, if you don't have a vehicle, which a lot of families don't, it goes back to the access to food, right? Um, you can actually sign up to get the food delivered. Um, because we're 100% volunteers, though, uh, we do it in Dallas County only. 
um, also like to know what to do with the food. Usually what we do um, is Chef Diana or myself. And now we just actually made another partnership with uh, two individuals that wanted to help. And we're like, hey, come be part of the Harvest Project. And they're, uh, the name of their program is Sentiel Bean like a bean, like a frijol, like a lentil, you right. know? Um, and B-E-A-N. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. And um, uh, we're going to be doing, like, uh, Facebook and YouTube and, like, really, like, okay, this is what this week's had and uh, Basket had, and this is what you can do with it. You can speak to some community members out there who, as a regular part of whatever they do in their daily lives, they will donate food mm-hmm. or food stuffs. Mm-hmm. So we get back to that. Why is that not enough? Because, you know, uh, there are people and as, you know, they have their own obstacles to navigate in their daily lives. They may sit there and think, why is this not enough? Yeah. You know, why are my donations or the, the collective donations of any given community, why is that not enough to either solve this problem or perhaps lower it to a manageable level? So if you can speak to that. Of course. Um, so I think that would be the ans- same answer I would say when it comes to why is medicine not enough, right? Medicine stops the symptoms, but it's not the cure, right? So, of course, we, right now we need to supplement. We need to help with donations. But we also need to be talk- you know, talking about and finding. And, and our goal should be finding the cure for food insecurity within the city of Dallas, Yes, please continue to donate. Please continue to go out and support those communities, support your neighbors, but never losing track that that's not enough. We need to find a solution for this. We're an amazing city. Uh, now, this would be a fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's it's essentially an opinion question. Okay. In your own words, finish this blank. We will have successfully eliminated the food desert problem in Dallas when... We would have successfully eliminated the food desert problem in Dallas when we can all work together. We can all come into a consensus that something needs to be done and it does not matter that I'm not leading the pack. You see? Because there's a lot of quote-unquote, solutions, but I just because you came up with it and I'm not a fan of you. Uh, even though it works, I'm going to be like, no, my solution's better. And so I think we'll get there when we decide to put our communities before our own egos. Bringing it back to Dallas residents, uh, because they're the ones immediately impacted by everything that you're doing here. Uh, now, in, in your opinion, um, for Dallas residents who have either been less affected mm-hmm. or who have been able to buoy themselves uh, amidst the converging crises that we are facing right now as a country. What is a primary one way that you could tell someone who is coming to this for the very first time, whether it's the whole topic of food insecurity or just food deserts or the fact that all of this exists within Dallas itself, if they said, I don't know what to do, but I do want to help. If they said, give me two ways, two things I can do, mm-hmm. what would you say? 
Um, one way, of course, has to do with the Harvest Project, right? <laughs> uh, but I would say um, if you want to be able to like stay safe, maybe you don't feel comfortable going out. Uh, but, you know, uh, you eat. <laughs> uh, support the Harvest Project and the Food Justice Coalition by uh, purchasing your produce from us. You know, uh, one basket of produce helps us feed 18 families. Um and that are living in uh, food insecurity, whether they live in um, food desert or because they, you know, lack the um, finances to be able to purchase themselves some fresh produce. So that's one way, you know, we're not asking you to give extra We're like, hey, you're already eating it, but just purchase from us, right? Um, and then two, um, I think talk about it. Have those uncomfortable, you know, conversations with your neighbors. Have the uncomfortable conversations with the people that you know that could get to the people writing policy. Um, it's important that we talk about that within our city, there are people going hungry. I know we focus a lot on children, and of course, you know, people, you know, uh, care more about children, but... The way I see it, and I invite you to just ponder on this, was that if we don't help the adults to those caretakers, how are they going to be taking care of those kids? You know, like, I think everybody at one point in their lives, unless you've been extremely privileged, was um, have gone through a time where we lacked something. So imagine as a caretaker lacking, maybe already housing and, and a, a way to provide clothing, shelter to your child, but now add to that that you can't even provide food. You can't even provide food for yourself. You're gonna be in a, in a bad mood. You're gonna be upset. It's gonna be bad. We need to take care of every single person in our community. For those who do actually wanna become involved with your uh, food project, Please tell us, how can we do that? Oh, Where awesome. Where can we go? Super simple. Um, so you can go to our website, and it's a little bit long, but that'll make you remember our name. Uh, so it's harvestprojectfoodrescue.org, um, and click on the Get Involved button. And then we're going to send you an email saying, hey, how do you want to get involved? Do you want to volunteer? Do you want to, um, you know, be able to donate, or do you want to... Um, you know, just kind of know a little bit more about what we're doing. You know, so you have different ways of being a volunteer. Um, and if you have a community where you're like, you know what? The Harvest Project sounds like something something that we need uh, or we want to participate in, then you can also reach out to us and, uh, you know, and we'll talk to you and talk to your community about how it works. And if that's something that you would like to, you know, you would like to do, you would like to invest your time in. Um and, you know, uh, follow us on social media also. You'll see a bunch of interesting videos. It's mostly me very being very awkward telling you where we are and what we're doing. Uh, but we also have uh, ways of, uh, you know, cooking your produce. Uh, you know, uh, we have one of our partners is also a, a curandera. So she'll talk about what herbs are good for what, you know, how they make you feel better. <laughs> so we try to stick to a lot of natural stuff. So you'll learn something. Um, so yeah, that's those are the ways that you could do it. And obviously always come out and support and volunteer. And 
you know, have a conversation with me. I think the best conversations I've had is uh, separating compost, <laughs> breaking down boxes. Uh, and, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And I think the best way of getting to know anyone is through food. Whether you're breaking bread with someone or you're in an aisle at the uh, store going, hey, do you happen to know how to pick a watermelon? Right? Or coming out to the Harvest Project and making some baskets for our communities uh, and saying, whoa, I fed two, 300 people today just because I came out. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Lovely conversation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we definitely learned um, some more info that I believe was going to help us with, uh, with getting the word out, first mm-hmm. and foremost, hopefully from this generating some call to action uh, within the community. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, we thank our audience for taking the time to listen and learn about food deserts with us today and the challenges they present to the residents and communities of Dallas, Texas. Please be on the lookout for our next episode about this very important topic. I'm James Marine. This is AAF Dallas. Dallas.